So, okay, I'm going to start with this. My dad lives over in West Virginia, and I, I tried to get over there like once a week to see him. My dad's going to be 87 next month, and uh, this is a typical visit when I'm visiting my dad. We're both in recliners, you know, we're kicked back, we got lunch in our lap, and we're watching American Pickers probably. Don't you love that show? And then, so we're sitting there just watching, you know, reading, watching, and all of a sudden, my dad goes, and another thing. And I'm like, another thing? Well, what was the first thing? You know, anybody got that person in your life? You know, they pick up this conversation, and another thing, and I'm like, well, what was the first thing? So, a few weeks back, Pastor Randy and Pastor Pete, we started talking about these two weeks as Pastor Randy was going to be on vacation and what we were going to talk about. And Pastor Pete said that he wanted to talk more about the one thing. And so I thought, well, maybe I'll talk about another thing. <laughs> and I got to thinking about this other thing that really goes with the one thing. They kind of go hand in hand, kind of like peas and carrots. You know, they go together. And, and it's this one thing... The one thing is something that is really foundational to our faith, but this, this other thing, it's just as foundational as well. And we all know this. We say that, we often say God talks to us through his word, and then we talk to God through prayer. Right. So another thing today that we're going to talk about is prayer. Now, have you ever had the experience where you say something out loud, and then when you hear yourself say it, inside your head you're going, no, it happens to me more often than I would like. And that happened to me when I said that I'd like to do a message on this other thing on prayer. Inside my head, I'm going like, no, Kim, what are you saying? And there's a lot of reasons for that, but I'm going to tell you the main reason is this. I had that reaction in my head. It's because of where I fall on the prayer scale. Are you guys familiar with the prayer scale? That's because I just made it up. That's why. But um, I made it up. But the prayer scale goes something like this, basically. On the one end, you got the mighty prayer warrior. I bet we all know some people. Maybe we got, we got you know, you're one too. Mighty prayer warrior, man. You're just like, you're a prayer. And then on this end, though, we got the mighty prayer slacker. Right? And if I'm honest... I just feel like, I kind of feel like I lean a little too much to this side of things, if I'm honest. Now, it's not that I don't pray, folks. I, I pray every day. I talk to God throughout the day. Most of the time I'm saying, oh, God, please help me with something. But it's so easy to just get discouraged because I feel like I don't pray long enough, you know? I, I don't pray often enough. I'm definitely not as focused in my prayer life as I feel like I, I should be. And, and because I'm not as focused, then my prayers aren't as passionate, they're not as powerful, they're not as faith-filled as I know they could be. Anybody else? Anybody else identify, relate to what I'm saying? And, and it's no wonder that there's a, a pastor and, and Christian writer, John Ortberg, he says this, he says, my hunch is that of all the spiritual disciplines, prayer is the one that people feel what? The most guilty about. Anybody feel guilty sometimes? Discouraged? And, and why does pray, why does praying, why does praying like a prayer warrior seem so hard? I mean, when you think about prayer, it, it, all it requires is close your eyes and talk inside your head. You know, if you watch somebody praying, 
like he's taking a nap. You know, that's what it looks like. And you don't even have to close your eyes. So why is that so hard? Well, I thought about some of the things that make, I think, make having a strong and healthy prayer life kind of a challenge for us. So I wonder if you can identify with any of these things. One is time. As Pastor P says, I'm busy, right? I'm busy. And then even when we do find the time, then there's distractions. You know, you try to get alone to pray and the, your phone's buzzing. All kinds of things are happening. Kids are coming in. And then this in itself is a distraction because it starts invading your, your prayer life. You're praying and then you're thinking about your to-do list. You have to do that day. That definitely gets in the way. I think this is a big one. We can't see the one we're talking to. We can't see God. And then also, we can't see the results often. I mean, usually when we do see the results, it's down the road. But in the moment that we're praying, we can't see what's happening. And Pastor Randy has often said, he's like, you know, if I could see, like when I pray, God sends an angel to go do this and take care of that, I'd pray a lot more. You know, we can't see what's going on. And then there's this, monkeys. <laughs> Y'all know about the monkeys? Henry Nouwen, great Christian writer, he says, our inner life is like a banana tree filled with monkeys jumping up and down. Anybody relate? <laughs> and prayer is an inner life kind of thing. So when I go to pray, man, my monkeys just start jumping up and down, and it keeps me from that focused prayer life that I think will be far more powerful. So there's a lot of things that I think can make establishing a strong and healthy prayer life just really, really difficult. And unfortunately, then, it makes it easy to give up on. You know, and I think that's probably why the Apostle Paul wrote these words to the, the believers in Thessalonica, but he writes them to us today. He wrote them to all the believers. He said this. He says, never stop praying. Just never, never stop praying praying no matter how difficult it is no matter how discouraged you get no matter how guilty you may feel just don't give up on prayer never stop praying and I think if if the apostle Paul was so concerned that believers might do that that they might give up then I'm thinking that having a healthy strong prayer life it must be really really important and here's another indicator I think of just how important a healthy and strong prayer life is. Look at this. In the Gospel of Matthew, it says, after he sent the crowds away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. Who's the he? Jesus. Jesus. And down here, Mark's Gospel, it says, before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Jesus. Jesus, the, the creator of the universe. Is who this is talking about. Now, now, in case you didn't know, Jesus is the creator of the universe. Look at this verse from Colossians. It says, Christ made everything. Everything in the heavens and on the earth. Everything was made by him, by Jesus, and for him. He's the creator of the universe. So the creator of the universe, let's get this. God in human form, he goes up to a mountain. He goes out to isolated places to pray why would God need to pray why would God need to pray we're going to take that question 
And we're just going to set it over here for a moment. It's going to sit there for a little while. Let's kind of go on. Here's something I think we can be certain of when it comes to Jesus and praying. He must have been praying in a way that the disciples, his followers, had never seen before, something that they had never, ever experienced before. Because look what Luke's gospel tells us. It says, once Jesus was in a certain place praying, and as he finished, one of his disciples, he came to him and he said, Lord, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. Now, why, why would they need him to teach them how to pray? I mean, isn't prayer, we always say prayer is just talking to God. What's there to learn about how to pray, how to talk to God? And plus, the disciples, they would have grown up in these Jewish families that, that prayed all the time. They were taught from little young ages about prayer. And they would have watched the religious leaders praying of their day out in front of everybody. So what was it about the way that Jesus was praying that made them say, Lord, man, teach us. Teach us to pray. We want to learn to pray like that, Jesus so the Lord Jesus, Scripture tells us that he began to teach them then how to pray. And he started with this. He says, well, let's start with let's, what not to do. All right, let's just start with what not to do. And he says this in, in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6. He says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. Well, what do they do? What do the hypocrites do? They love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where what? everyone can see them. So as I tell you the truth, that's all the reward that they will ever get. Jesus is talking about the religious leaders of the day, and they were praying just to be noticed and, and admired by the people. They weren't praying to God. They were praying for themselves. So the only reward that they would get for their prayers is the thing that they were seeking, the applause of people. You know, people to say like, whoa, wow, you're so religious. That's all they would get from their prayers. That was their reward. Jesus goes on with what not to do, and this time he, he kind of cracks on the Gentiles. Those were non-Jews and practicing various other types of forms of religion and spirituality. And about them, he says this. He says, when you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again and again. So he's talking about these people who are just simply re repeating these empty phrases over and over as if something magical is going to happen as a result. As if God is just up there waiting to say, for us to say a certain phrase a certain number of times and then he'll grant our wish. You know, he's like, okay, go ahead, say that again. One, two, three. Magic number five, good. Your wish is granted. Does that make any sense? None at all. So, so Jesus gives his followers the don'ts. You know, don't pray like this. Don't do that. But then he does this. He says, pray like this. This now is how I want you to pray. And then he actually gives them a prayer, a little sample prayer. So the question for us then, what was Jesus' intention for them and, and for us to just mimic this prayer? You know, to repeat the words that he gave? Was Jesus saying, look guys, here's what, here's what I say when I pray, so just say the same thing. 
Matter of fact, call it the Lord's Prayer because it's my prayer. So you say the same thing, call it the Lord's Prayer. And, and just if you memorize this, if you repeat it every time you pray, mm, you're good to go. Well, that doesn't make sense, does it? That goes counter to what he just told them not to do, which was not to repeat the same words over and over again. So what was actually, you know, Jesus, what was he actually saying here? He was actually giving them and he was giving us a model for prayer. You know, he was giving us a guide to shape our prayer life. And in the shaping, he gives us some clear priorities as we pray. So let's look carefully at these prayer priorities and, and how to shape our prayer life, okay? Jesus started with this. We're all familiar with it. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We start with Father. Father. You know, when Jesus was talking about the hypocrites who pray on the street corners to, to be seen, he actually said this right after that. He says, when you pray, go where into your room? Close the door. And then what's he say? Pray to your Father who is unseen, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. He's saying even though you can't see the father, which sometimes is one of our barriers, he says, he affirms, he sees you. Can we pause and let that one sink in? My heavenly father sees me he sees me. He's watching, and it matters to him every time I pray. Jesus is reminding us that this thing we call prayer, it's far more than just some kind of a spiritual activity or workout, you know. It's about a relationship. And as we approach the almighty, omnipotent, omniscient, holy creator of the universe, we're reminded he's our father. Our father. A father is a provider. A father is a protector. A father dearly loves his children and only wants what is the very best for us. Now I get that, that some of us, for some of us, that doesn't resonate because we've never known that kind of a father. But folks, isn't that all the more reason to embrace what Jesus is saying here? He says, your earthly father may have been a very poor excuse for a father, but your father in heaven, he is the perfect father. He's the father your heart has always longed for. Your earthly father may have failed you, but your heavenly father, he loves you with an unfailing kind of love. Jesus says, you're praying to your father who sees you who knows you, who loves you. And then he goes on to say, hallowed be your name. Fathers who I'm addressing, but he says, hallowed be your name. That's kind of an odd phrase for us. You know, what was Jesus talking about? Well, well, hallowed is the idea of the holy and sacred and set apart and revered. But when Jesus says name, he means something very different than what we typically think of you know where we just think of the name the name that's used to identify a person to the Jews a person's name was meant to reflect their nature their character even their mission in life 
In the Old Testament, the Jews had a lot of different names for God, and each reflected a different aspect of God's character. So when Jesus says name, he's referring to God's character. Pastor Randy has often talked to us. He's taught us about something that's foundational to everything. It brings greater understanding to everything that's happening in the world, and it's this. He talks about the biggest problem in the universe. What is the biggest problem in the universe? The biggest problem is distrust in God that produces disobedience to his will. We don't follow his will. We don't want his will because we don't trust him. Well, how and when did this happen? When did this distrust with the creator come into play? It originated in the garden with the first two human beings, Adam and Eve. You see, they had lived in this trusting relationship with God, the creator, all the days of their life until one day, until this one day, this other being comes into the garden and he caused them suddenly to question God's character, his trustworthiness. And how did he do that? Slander. Slander. This being was a fallen angel. His name is Satan. And he's often referred to or called the devil. And we think of this ugly, red-faced character being, you know, with, with, with horns and a pitchfork, but that's not what the word devil means at all. In the original Greek, the, the word there is diabolos, and it means, devil means slanderer. Slander. It, it was actually his nature was to slander. And in John, John's gospel, it says this. It says the devil, the slanderer, was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to truth, for there is no truth in him. Satan slandered God's character by telling lies, by making accusations. You see, he convinced Adam and Eve that God's intentions toward them, it wasn't good, it wasn't loving, that his motives were not pure. Actually, God just wanted to exert his power over them and to control them. So these slanderous lies, they caused Adam and Eve to break trust to suddenly not trust God. And then they, they stepped out beyond his will and they did what he said not to do, what he warned them not to do, that there would be consequences. Don't eat of the tree of knowledge and good, of, eat, of good and evil. And that's just what they did because they didn't trust him. So as a result of their action, they experienced something that they had never, ever experienced before, fear. For the first time, they were afraid. And for the first time ever, they ran and they hid from God. And folks, humanity has been running and hiding from God ever since. Why? Because we still believe all kinds of lies about God, slanderous lies and accusations that all started one day in a garden. So as Pastor Randy says, how can God restore our trust in him? Trust can only be restored through God's willingness to patiently, consistently, and gently. He can't force us. He's got to go easy, gently reveal himself, and then demonstrate his trustworthiness. So folks, the most important thing that should shape our prayer life is that God's true character would be revealed and known to a world that has bought into the slander and the lie of who he truly is. That's the top priority in prayer. And I wonder how many of you, you've got people in your life 
that they hold to these false images and ideas of who God is and what he's truly like. Anybody? You got anybody, nobody in your life like that? Is it just me? Am I the only one? The sad thing is a lot of times it's our closest family members. And it's so hard at times to listen to the things that they say, their ideas about God that are just so off base, so wrong, so untrue. But I'll tell you what makes it even more difficult, utterly heartbreaking and gut-wrenching are the emotions that often accompany the lies that they have believed. You know, it's one thing when someone's just kind of apathetic and, oh, I don't need God, but today more and more out of people comes this arrogance and mocking sometimes, or sometimes it's just with a lot of anger. And I think the worst is when it comes out with an attitude of disgust. Anybody know anybody like that? I mean, again, it's heartbreaking, especially when it's not from a coworker or, or, or from a, you know, an acquaintance, but from a family member. And, and you get into this conversation and it's just like disgust. I have a friend she has an adult daughter, and this adult daughter's experiencing all kinds of spirit, spiritual stuff. She's, she's exploring, you know, um, everything except Jesus and Christianity. Of course, she's already cut that off, discounted that. So they went somewhere recently. They were in my friend's car, and her daughter turns to her, and she says, please turn off the Christian music. It really offends me. Her mom says, offends you? What do you mean? Offense. She says, well, it's with a lot of disgust in her face and in her voice. She says, it sounds like love songs to Jesus. Heartbreaking to my friend. Heartbreaking to see, hear, not only hear that, but the way that it came out. But she's thinking, yeah, yeah, it's love songs to Jesus. You bet. You bet. Hallowed be your name. God, I want the truth about who you are to be revealed and known. God, may the slander be exposed. May your good name, may your good and loving character be known. God, I want, I want to know you more myself, and I want to be free from any false ideas that I have that I don't even realize. And, and God, I want the people in my life to come to know who you truly are. And God, my great big prayer is for your name to be hallowed, your true nature and character to be revealed and known all over this planet, all over this world that is dying all because of slander. Jesus says that, that, my friends, needs to be the top priority that shapes our prayer life. There's nothing more important than that. Jesus goes on and says the next big thing we need to pray is this he says then pray God your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven you see just as the world desperately needs to know the truth about God's character it also desperately needs God's good ways to govern to govern our planet to govern our lives God's God's will is good his ways are the best way. So our heart's longing ought to be for the day when Christ will return and his kingdom and his ways are going to govern the entire planet. We, we long for that day and we pray for that day to come soon. But as we wait for that day to come, then we pray, God, may your will be done in my life, in my life, 
Even if I have to wait for your will to be done over the planet, all over this planet, God, I pray that your will be done all over my life. And you know why this prayer is so important? Why it needs to be a priority? Because, see, I've got my own little kingdom. And I've got my own little will. And my will it is very selfishly oriented most of the time. So you see, my tendency in prayers is to start with my kingdom and my will to be done. You know, it's kind of like, God, thank you for today. Appreciate it so much. Now, here's what's going on in my life in case you haven't been aware. And here's what I need you to do, God, in order to make me happy. That's what we tend to do. Get to me, get to me. I got stuff, God. But Jesus is helping us to get our heart and our mind in the right place with the right perspective and in tune with the Father. Father, your kingdom is far more important than my little kingdom. And your will, well, it's not only more important, but it is superior to mine for sure. Your will is what is best for me, best for me, best for this whole world. So, Father, more than anything, I want your will for my life. Your will. So Jesus taught his disciples, and he's teaching us. He says the most important thing when you pray is you shape your prayer life, top priority, God first. God first. God's character. God's kingdom. God's will. These are the most important things. And we need to understand that because prayer is more than just talking to God. There's a priority that shapes our prayers if we're going to have a strong and a healthy prayer life. So after that, now Jesus says, okay, you can pray for yourself now. Now, now, you, can get, now you can get to you. And he says this simple thing, give us today our daily bread. Our daily bread is just our, our daily needs. We're praying to our Father, who is our provider, so we come to him with those things that we need, whatever they are. No need is too big for our Father to handle, and no need is too small for him to care. And then Jesus, he reminds us of something else when it comes to ourself and, and, and praying for ourself and the shaping of our prayer life, and it's this, forgive us our, what's the word? trespasses debts which one is it which one okay I grew up in a Methodist church so we would say trespasses and heaven forbid if you showed up at our church and you said debts I mean you'd be the one person and it would just like resonate and literally people would look at you as if you just committed a sin did you I can remember this old man he go she said debts when we prayed it was just awful we're gonna put up debts that's the version that we're using. So forgive us our debts. You know, I think sometimes we get this a little bit, again, a little bit mixed up. See, Jesus isn't saying that God won't forgive our sins until we ask him. You know, so we better make sure we ask for his forgiveness for every sin we commit or else we won't be forgetting. If we forgot to ask for forgiveness for a particular sin, we're in trouble. I remember growing up kind of thinking that. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying that what we need to do is we need to acknowledge our sin. Confess to ourselves that we know what we did was wrong. We need to be aware of our need for forgiveness ongoing. 
And then we can also just rest in the knowledge that our God has forgiven us. He keeps on forgiving us over and over again. And then Jesus goes on. And he says, oh yeah, don't, don't forget this too. As you're you know, remembering your need forgiveness, also remember you got some forgiving to do. Remember this, as we also have forgiven our debtors, those people who've sinned against us, who've hurt us, who've offended us. Just as God forgives me, I also need to forgive others. And so that needs to be part of shaping my prayer life. And then Jesus says this. He says, we're, we're, we're supposed to pray about the things that we struggle with. So it says this, it says, and lead me not into temptation, I can find it myself. <laughs> that's actually a country song from the 90s. Uh, I don't think that's quite, Jesus' version goes like this. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Folks, we need to regularly talk to God about those things that we struggle with, our weaknesses, you know, our struggles, our tendency in some area to do things we shouldn't do. And if the only time I'm talking to God about my struggles is after I've fallen and failed and I'm asking for forgiveness, then I got a problem because I'm going to keep on falling and I'm going to keep on failing over and over again. Oops, I did it again. If I want to get well, if I actually want to overcome, I want to overcome a struggle so it's not a struggle anymore. If I want to be free, if I want to be made whole, then I must pray about the struggle regularly and in advance. In advance. Father, you know the struggle I have. So today, give me strength. God, give me strength. Lead me in the opposite direction. Help me to put up strong barriers between myself and what tempts me. Don't let me go there, Lord. Help me, heal me, deliver me, rescue me. Regularly and in advance. And then Jesus kind of ends. Some versions of the Bible include this. Some um, don't, depending on what manuscripts they're pulling from. But for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It basically brings us back to where we started. God, God and his glory. God, I'm not the center of the universe. You are the center and the creator. Your character, your kingdom, your will are what matters more than anything. So there it is. From the mouth of our creator himself, the Lord Jesus, he says, here's how to pray. So are we good? Let's just go pray then, right? I mean, is just knowing how to pray enough? Or maybe do, is there something a little more that's going to help us grow into a stronger and healthier prayer life? You see, for me, there's still this lingering question. I don't know if this question is there for you. But the question I still have is, but why? But why? See, one of the most powerful things that I've learned from Pastor Randy in the 35 years or so that I've been under his teaching and his leading and his mentorship 
is learning to ask this very simple but powerful question, but why? You see, he's taught me that asking God to show us why, it takes us deeper. Things that we know now become convictions when we've gone through the why process. Why takes us deeper into new levels of understanding, and it takes us deeper into these new levels of experience with God and his love. How wide and how high and how deep is the love of God? We got to ask, but why? But why? So when it comes to prayer, I started asking, but why? Because if you think about it, okay, we know God is all-knowing. He knows everything. He already knows what's going on in our lives. He already knows what we need. Matter of fact, when Jesus was talking and saying, don't babble on and on like those one people do, you know, don't repeat the phrases. He actually said this. He says, don't be like them. And then he said this, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. So why do I need to pray? He knows what I need. Why do I need to pray then? And then the Bible also says that, that God is this, he's, he's all powerful and he's sovereign, that he is ultimately in control and his plans cannot be stopped by anyone or anything. So why I gotta pray? What's the point? Have you ever heard someone say this? Prayer works. Prayer works. Mm-hmm. Prayer works. I think that's utterly wrong. Don't believe that at all. But I'll tell you what I do believe. God works through prayer. God works. And he does it through prayer. For some reason, it's an amazing thing to think about. The creator of the universe has chosen to carry out much of his work on this planet through prayer. Your prayers, my prayers, and the prayers of all those who are no longer deceived by the slander and have returned to him in trust because we have seen how utterly good he is and how beautiful are his ways. That's what it means to be a Christian. Did you know that? So I'll say it again. The prayers of all those who are no longer deceived by the slander and have returned to God in trust because we have seen how utterly good he is and how beautiful are his ways. So we trust him and we want to follow him. And this work that, that he's doing through prayers, it, it's not just work out here, it's also work in here you see I've come to realize that God does a whole lot of work inside of me through my prayers through my prayer life and that motivates me all the more to want to develop a healthy and stronger prayer life in his letter to the Philippians um, the believers in Philippi the uh, apostle Paul said this he said don't worry about anything instead instead pray about everything tell God what you need thank him for all he's done then you will experience what God's peace which exceeds anything we can understand, his peace, it's going to guard our hearts and our minds as we live in Christ Jesus. You see, I have this tendency, I don't know about you, I have this tendency to use up a whole lot of mental and emotional energy by replaying, rehashing things in the past that I can't change. And if I'm not doing that, chances are then I'm rehearsing and ruminating over things in the future that I can't control. And all of that, it just creates this needless discomfort in my soul, worry, and anxiety. 
But God offers me an alternative. He says, come on, bring it to me. And when you do, you're going to experience a kind of peace that you can't even wrap your head around. And it's a kind of peace that you cannot get any other way except through prayer. Prayer calms me, and it gives me some much-needed peace. Peace. Anybody? Could you use a little peace? Yeah. Then in his letter to the believers in Rome, Paul said this. He says, don't be conformed to this present world, but be transformed, be changed, completely changed by how? The renewing of your mind. You know, this verse is really amazing when we look at it through the lens of today. Because of the age of science and technology we live in, we now know that that verse is speaking in very literal terms. Neuroplasticity is the brain's ability to modify, to change, to adapt both the structure and the function of the brain. So our brains will literally form new neural connections and pathways based on what we think. And here's what hit me. Praying is thinking. Praying is thinking. We, we do it in here. Prayer, it's directed thinking in the form of a conversation to my father. But it's essentially thoughts. So through prayer, our brains can physically be changed. A healthy, strong prayer life can develop a healthy and stronger brain, and a healthy brain will lead to a healthy life, a life that is transformed, transformed. So prayer, it renews my mind. Prayer will renew my mind. And then once again, in his letter to those Philippian believers, but to us today too, he said this simple thing, don't be selfish. Don't be selfish. And he says a lot of things around that, but the, don't live selfishly. And folks, you and I know living unselfishly is one of the toughest battles we fight as Christ followers who care. You know, because from the beginning of our lives, our tendency is towards self-preservation and self-gratification. Pastor Randy talks that, about that all the time. But, but when I pray for God's will over my will, I'm breaking the power of selfishness in my life. When I pray for other people's needs, when someone says, hey, will you pray for me? And I pray for other people's needs and put them first before my own prayer needs, I am actively breaking the power of selfishness in my life. So you see, prayer, it's an antidote to selfishness. And then once again to those Philippian believers, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, for God is at work in you. He helps you want to do it, and he helps you do what he wants you to do. He helps you want it. In another version, the, the NET version, it says, God himself provides both the will and the energy to enable you to do what pleases him. You know, sometimes, maybe a lot of times, actually, we know what God wants us to do. We know what we need to do. We know what the right thing to do is. Knowing isn't the problem, right? But acting on what we know, different story. Sometimes we lack the motivation to do it or we lack the spiritual energy, the strength to carry it out. But prayer, prayer is what God uses to bring about the motivation, to bring about the spiritual energy in, of a, in us to carry out 
what we know is the right thing, the good thing, what we know to be God's will. He works through prayer to energize us and motivate us to go beyond just knowing the right thing. You see, prayer, it yields our spirit. It yields us spirit. It gives us the motivation and the energy to move now in God's direction and know and do the thing that we know to be the right thing. Why pray? Because there's a lot of work that God wants to do inside of us. And it's things that can only be accomplished through prayer. Only through prayer. So as I prayed about this message on prayer, and I prayed a lot about it, I still kept sensing that there's just something more, something I was still missing. And, and so I thought, I thought about Pastor Pete's message last week, the one thing. You know, he talked about the one thing and all the good that, that comes for that, but then he made this point at the end that our purpose in reading the Bible is it's not to know the Scripture. It's to meet Jesus. It's to meet Jesus. It's to know him and discover the beauty of his heart and of his mind. If that doesn't happen, then it's all for nothing, you know? So the one thing, through reading the Bible... We meet Jesus. So when you consider that, then, well, what about another thing? What about this other thing? What about when it comes to praying? What's the essence of praying? What's it really, really all about? Well, I think a prayer that Jesus prayed just before he was about to be arrested and then crucified. And in John, the, the later chapters of John, you just get these, this, these long prayers that Jesus had made. And so, he, so he's praying, and I think this prayer reveals this something more that prayer is all about. It's recorded in John's Gospel, chapter 17. Jesus, his prayer is recorded. My prayer is not for them alone. Them, is, he's talking about his disciples, because just before this, he had been praying for his disciples, you know, the 11 that were there at that point then. But he says, my prayer, it's also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's me. That's you. That's us. Jesus is praying for us. 2,000 years ago, Jesus prayed for us to the Father. And what's his prayer? That all of them, all of us, that we may be one. Father, just as you are in me, and just as I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. May they be one, Father, just as you are in me and just as I am in you. May they be in us. It's all about oneness. Oneness. Remember in the beginning, we set that little question over here. <laughs> if Jesus is God, why would he need to pray? Jesus prayed because he's one with the Father. Jesus prayed because he and the Father are one. The Father is in him and he is in the Father. They are of one heart, one mind. And it's because of this oneness that Jesus prayed. He didn't pray because he needed to pray. He prayed because he couldn't not pray. It was impossible. His oneness with the Father continually drew him away to pray to the Father. And this oneness, this oneness is, is what Jesus desires for 
for you and me today. Today, that we wouldn't just know about the heart and mind of God, that, that we would be one, one with him, one heart, one mind with him and the Father. That his image in us would be more and more restored until we possess the heart and the mind of our creator. You see, through God's word, we meet Jesus. But it's through prayer that we become one. We become one with Jesus. And folks, when that happens, when, when you and I experience this kind of growing oneness of heart and mind, God not only works in here then in our prayers, he is able to work out here as well, out there through our prayers. Listen to what the half-brother of Jesus, James, he says this about this. He says, tremendous power is released through the passionate, heartfelt prayer of a godly believer. Tremendous power released. A godly, a godly believer is just a person experiencing, again, this growing oneness with God. More and more, we think the way he thinks. We feel the way he feels, and we want the same thing that he wants. So folks, when we're in that condition, one in heart, one in mind, with our God and our creator, then when we pray, get this, when we pray, tremendous power is released. And God uses our prayers to change things. We're now co-workers with God. We're partners with God and what he's doing across this planet. Tremendous power is released. And God uses our prayers to change things. Not just in here that he's definitely doing, but out there as well. Our prayers make a difference. God uses my prayers to change me. He uses my prayers to change the world around me. And he does that because God works through prayer. God works through prayer. Can we pray? Father, it's astounding to us to think that our prayers matter, to know the truth that you, our Father, you, you see us when we're praying, and it matters to you that you take these prayers and you use them to change us inwardly, but then, God, you want to use them change the world. We're your partners. It's mind-blowing, God. But how I pray, how I pray that every single one of us, that we will leave here seeking to pray the way that you want us to pray, have taught us to pray, and that our hearts and our minds truly would come into oneness with your heart and mine. So the tremendous power from this day forward will be released and our heartfelt, passionate prayers as we partner with you, Lord Jesus. In whose name we pray, amen. Would you stand your feet with us? I'm just going to sing a song here. We're going to invite God's will to be done. Sing this with us.
fcfchurch.com and we'd love to join you. Go and be the church. Have an incredible week. Thanks for joining us. Bless you. Come on, sing.